0: My name's Ed Mathis, and Dixie and I have been in this church since 2003. I tell you how many years, but I'm math challenged, so I can't. I serve as an elder and a treasurer, and uh, uh, I greet at the front door. That's my favorite thing to do. And we have a Bible class that starts at 8:45 in the morning. We currently are doing First Corinthians. This is an unabashed plug that says you should be there. <laughs> it's a great class. We enjoy it. Happy New Year. I'm an Iowa Hawkeye fan, and one of the great things about, <laughs> one of the, great things about uh, the Rose Bowl is that it's a great year whenever my team's in the Rose Bowl. Uh, this Rose Bowl wasn't very good, though, was it? I think um, uh, the first play of the game, uh, the Stanford scored uh, 75 yards, and I should have just turned it off at that point. The Spring is my favorite time of year. The morning is my favorite time of the day. I gotta sit down uh, and the let me start over again uh, this is a this is a a new beginning, a new time for us and uh, i uh mm, mm. I'll get going here pretty soon. <laughs> um, but this is a great time of year. I was gonna say that the morning is my favorite time of the day, and, the, and the New Year's the favorite time of the year. And the favorite time of all of this, other than the Rose Bowl, is the date when the pitchers and catchers report to uh, spring training. It's the beginning of something new. And that day, no matter whose team you're favorite, they, anything's possible. That's one of the days when my team, the White Sox, can be better than your team, the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fresh start. And often the new life, this time of year, the springtime, is compared favorably to a new, t- new life in Christ. And what I want to talk a little bit about today is that new life in Christ and how we set the reset button uh, to have a new life in Christ. And it's not hard to do. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's the reset button. It's no more complicated than that. We can have a new life simply by... Acknowledging Christ in our lives. This world has been riddled with all kinds of unspeakable tragedies, from natural disasters to hideous shootings. i got to tell you, this is often too much for me. I avoid the news sometimes, especially after tragedies happen, because it just keeps going on and on and on. The aftermath of these tragedies often lead to uh, investigations. that says, why did this happen? There's political finger pointing, and we look for ways to prevent these kinds of things in the future. We also look for, (laughs) explain, you know, why did he do it, or uh, why weren't we more prepared? And so there's all these questions that keep to be asked after one of these tragedies. But the thing I never hear being asked is, what happened to the deceased? Do they have a life in eternity? I recall that after 9-11, John MacArthur, a famous radio preacher, had this kind of a shocking sermon, at least shocking to me at the time. He said about the 3,000 people who died in the World Trade Center collapse, that nothing happened to those people that wasn't going to happen to them anyway. And the real question was, did they have a relationship with Christ? In other words, were they saved? I know the events in San Bernardino and other places are really hideous, the things that you read about and that. But nothing as bad as San Bernardino can compare to the real tragedy of eternity and hell. And we often lose perspective, even us Christians who are uh, relatively familiar with the life with Christ and all that, we often worry more about the tragedy of the event and not the real tragedy were these people prepared. Recently, I've been troubled by a number of family members and close friends who do not have that relationship with Christ. It's a selfish concern on my part because that means I'm gonna spend eternity without them. These thoughts me made me aware of many other people who might have these same concerns, may have the same bleak future. On the other hand, I don't seem to be willing to do much about it. It's easier for me to be friendly, not rock the boat, than it is to share the gospel. Since I'm experiencing some of these same thoughts, I thought perhaps you might be experiencing these same thoughts as well. On the other hand, maybe this is the first time you've given it any thought at all. But I tend to examine this this morning, why we share the good news with others, why we don't share the good news with others. Now, I don't claim to have any knowledge on the topic. My purpose here is simply to simulate your thinking on it. So if you walk out of this church saying, what should I be doing? That's what I accomplished today. One thing is clear. We're directed by Jesus to share the gospel. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we're told, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The vision at Meadowland is to, this is where lives are changed by Jesus and disciples made. Our collective and individual responsibility is to introduce people to Jesus. What is it that keeps us from sharing the gospel? What keeps us from introducing our friends and family to Jesus? How is it we can keep this good news to ourselves? I'm positive that each of us can answer the question, and your answer is likely better than mine, but I got the microphone, so I get to talk. (laughs) One of the things I looked at on this is, why don't we do this? It might be that we underestimate the urgency of sharing the gospel. In other words, we've got lots of time to do it. We don't have to do it today. Or we're not convinced that Jesus is the only way. Or maybe we're just blind to the need. If nothing else, the tragedies that I've already talked about have taught us that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. The idea that we have time to speak tomorrow about Jesus Christ will not always be true. Think about this for a moment. How often do your plans for tomorrow uh, go awry before the day even begins? Over in James chapter 4, 13-15, we're told, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? For if you are just a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll go live and do this or that. Therefore, the person we think about as needing Jesus is an urgent matter. It ought not to be put off. I've heard people refer to deceased friends and family who've never demonstrated a relationship with Christ as being heaven, as if there's another way to Jesus. Another way other than Jesus. Now, just because we haven't heard people talk about a relationship with Christ doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So I'm not making that judgment. But where we've heard people reject Christ, and I have friends who do that, then we know there's uh, there. Prospects for eternity are bleak. Um, I've wrestled with this, and I'm sure if you've considered the topic, you've wrestled with it as well. But let me clearly state, there's no other way to heaven other than a relationship with Christ. There are many Bible references that talk about this. And the thing I like the best is a book we've been reading recently for the Leadership Council, which is Radical by David Platt. And there, he says, if there was another way to heaven, why would one of the ways be so extreme that Jesus had to die on the cross? If there was another way, why would Jesus have to suffer through that? For me, that states that uh, there is no other way, and we need to accept the fact that Jesus is the only way to Christ. There are other people who say that their friends might be in heaven or I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Well, good doesn't cut it when perfection is the requirement. So we're all good people, but we're not perfect people, and therefore we have made sins, and we do need Jesus Christ. Over in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short. Perhaps Bill Gaither said at the best, On my very best day... I'm a sinner in the need of Jesus Christ. On my very best day, I'm still a sinner in the need of Jesus Christ. Parallel concern is that we're not aware of the need. Over in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, there's a story about the rich man and Lazarus, and it begins like this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. As I see it, the rich man would go in and out his gate and not see Lazarus. I don't mean ignore Lazarus. I mean just not see him. I don't know enough to say what it is in us that allows us not to see those needs, but I know exists in me. After my retirement from Allstate, I started a consulting company, the clever name of Ed and Company. <laughs> I did all kinds of things, including I uh, was an instructor, an adjunct lecturer at DePaul University. And from time to time, my classroom would be in the city uh, at the corner of Wabash and Jackson, right there under the L tracks. And I parked my car in the garage uh, down the street and I would walk uh, by way of McDonald's. Uh, this was before my plant-based diet, so I'd go to McDonald's <laughs> and then back to my classroom. And on the way the trip, I'd walk past all kinds of people asking for money. To be blunt, I would walk past the panhandlers. And then I was convicted that I was walking past these people without seeing them. I wasn't ignoring them. I just wasn't seeing them. And I was so convicted, actually convicted by this particular uh, Bible verse, that I started carrying dollar bills in my shirt pockets. So that, and the resolution was I had to hand out a dollar bill to everybody that I saw. And it had nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with changing the lives of the people that I was giving it to. It had everything to do with making sure I wasn't blind to that need. Now, just recognizing the need doesn't change anything. But I was convinced that we can actually go through life and just not see the needs. I think we can go through life and not see the need of our friends and family for, the, for Jesus Christ. We just have these conversations every day and don't do that. We can look at the need of our friends and not see their urgent need to Jesus for Jesus. The quote preach the gospel at all times and, if necessary, use words as attributed to St. Francis of Assisi and is often used as an argument against the need for personal testimony. This is sort of a version of actions speak louder than words. But to take this position is to imply that our visible works will convince somebody of their need for Christ or that our conduct will be so compelling that a non-believer will give his life to Christ. This may be true in some cases, but the truth is people need to hear our story. What we were before we met Jesus and how we were changed. Or what happened when I didn't follow Jesus as compared to when I submitted to his lordship. Our words, your words, my words are essential to the spread of the gospel. In Romans chapter 10 verse 14 it says, How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they were sent? The need for a relationship with Jesus is obvious, and the need for each of us to share the gospel is clear, but we don't do it. I don't do it. You don't do it. And you know this is true because of the regret we feel when we miss an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Why is this the case? A good friend and mentor would often tell me people don't do something because they can't, they don't want to, or they don't know how. I suppose there are some of us who can't share the gospel because of physical or mental afflictions. For these people, I don't have any further comment because I don't have the answer for that. But for the rest of us, I do have some thoughts on the matter. Some will say, perhaps this is you, I don't want to because I'm not called evangelism there are others who are gifted in this area and it's not my job as i read the bible the great commission in acts chapter 1 verse 8 applies to all of us it says but you will receive the whole receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth there are no qualifiers and no exceptions there are no loopholes we're all required to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something we need to understand, that God has the plan for saving the world, and that plan's going to work. There's no need for a backup plan. There's no alternative. And part of that plan is for us to tell others about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. My high school f- football coach would say, probably not as nice a terms as mine's going to say right now, but he would say something like, are you helping with the solution or are you part of the problem? And for us, doesn't it sound better to be helping with the solution, to be on Jesus' team, to share the gospel, to be part of the plan that saves the world? Others may say, I don't want to because I'm concerned I will annoy my friends. As some of you know, I've been eating a plant-based diet for three years. Yeah, three years, yeah. How time flies. Uh, And with very little encouragement, I'm glad to share all of you with the benefits of avoiding meat, eggs, dairy. Fortunately for today, that's the end of what I'm going to talk about, plant-based diet, because I could go on for quite a while. We're not gonna debate one eating plan versus another. I have, though, found this parallel thought of sharing something I think is important as uh, diet, nutrition, as sharing Christ. They have a lot of parallels. Some people listen with interest, some people listen politely, and some are tired of hearing it. In both cases, more so with Jesus, I'm concerned about wearing out my welcome I know that people stop listening when the theme is heard too many times. My tendency, and perhaps yours as well, is to remain quiet rather than to speak out. This is particularly true if I've already spoken on the topic. I suppose this is okay if we're talking about nutrition, but it can't be okay for people who don't know Jesus. Perhaps you are new to the Bible or just haven't spent enough time in it to quote chapter and verse when it comes to a religious argument. This may cause you to feel ill-equipped to engage a non-believer in Jesus. I agree. feel this way myself. But it doesn't let us off the hook to share. So if you don't know Bible and verse and you can't quote what you need to quote from the Bible, you have a story to tell. Each of us has a story to tell. For some of you, it looks like this. I was like this before I met Christ, and now I'm like this. For others who were raised knowing Jesus may have a story that says, Jesus has been with me my entire life and helped me pass these rough patches. For some of you, you have that dramatic truck driver story. You know the story. The guy is driving down the road late at night, raining, and he turns the radio to find something to keep him awake for the rest of the trip. And he stumbles on a Christian station that's playing a gospel song. Maybe something like I heard it first on the radio or one of those country kinds of gospel songs. And then it's got a testimony afterwards. And it starts into thinking at the end of the long haul, he pulls off the road and gives his life to Christ. Those are great testimonies. I love to hear those kinds of testimonies. If you want a really good testimony, though, You ought to go into Acts chapter 21 through 22. This is Paul. He's back in Jerusalem. He's been arrested. He's in chains. They dragged him to the barrack steps. There's a mob around him throwing stones and shouting that they want to kill him. He picks this time to give his testimony. Can you imagine? He picks that time to give his testimony. And he stands up and he talks about how he was persecuting Christians, how he was killing Christians, and then how he was um, confounded by a bright light and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes on and preaches to the the Gentiles. This is Paul. He's in the middle of a crowd who wants to kill him and he says, let me tell you about Jesus. Now that's boldness. I don't even want to go to my best friend who doesn't know Jesus and annoy him. And Paul's talking in the middle of a, a crowd. The other thing I was saying about this, and honestly, i got to uh, ask your forgiveness on this. I've thought about this point for a couple of days now. I was going to look up in the Bible. This story, I think, in the Bible is at least in there three times. If there's the first one, it happens, it's in Acts when he gets the conversion. And I think he repeats it at least two other times and maybe more. And I was going to count that so I could say exactly what it was, but I didn't, so I don't know. But the point out of it is that it's in the Bible multiple times, and it's it's the entire story. It isn't like, remember that story back in Acts? It's the entire story. And that tells me something that it's important to tell your story. Just because you've told it once doesn't mean you can't tell it again. And so I just think this is, this is just a profound thing I discovered in reading that, that Paul repeated his story. And it's written down for us multiple times. And so we read it multiple times. And so it just seems to me this is a message that says we have to tell our story multiple times. Some of you were raised as Christians, have been Christians your entire life, and cannot point to a moment where you first believe. But you have a story to tell. In fact, you have multiple stories to tell that each illustrate that a relationship with Christ is essential to being saved. I'm one of those kids that grew up in a Christian church, knowing Christ, that he died on the cross for me. I was baptized at the age of 12 at my own request. And that doesn't make me a better person. It just simply makes me a forgiven person. Perhaps you don't want to share that story. You know the story, the one that's really embarrassing about what you were like before you met Christ and what you're like now. If you don't want to tell that story. Consider telling the story about why you're here this morning. Why did you come to church this morning? Why did you choose this church? Just think about it. When you discuss your weekend with co-workers or friends or family, you may want to say, I went to Meadowland Church. Today it may be because you came here to please somebody else, or maybe you just felt lost. But at some point, your why, why you came to church, will be to worship my Lord and Savior and thank him for saving me from a life of sin. Before Dixie and I moved from Palatine to Spring Grove, we made a decision that we were going to stay in our house in Palatine. That was going to be our retirement home. And we decided we were going to remodel that house and make some improvements. It reminded me of that phrase, man plans and God laughs. We added a library that was going to be for the uh, consulting business I mentioned to you, and we did that. And we're in a futile process, an underlying futile, of uh, trying to expand our bedroom uh, into something that was we liked better. And in the process of doing that, Dixie saw an ad in the paper with a floor plan of the house that had the perfect bedroom, bathroom layout that we wanted. And so we drove 45 minutes from Palatine out to Spring Grove just to see that house. And we bought it. That's where we live today. We were planning on staying in Spring Grove, and somehow we ended up here. When we came out here, we, we have, well, since we were married, uh, can I say we were married in 1962 or is that too private? Oh, I can do that. <laughs> since we were married, uh, we were married in a Methodist church in, uh, when we were in college in Iowa City, and we've been going to Methodist churches our entire life, so when we moved out here, We had a choice of going to the Methodist church in Antioch or the Methodist church in McHenry. We chose Antioch. I can no longer remember why. Uh, (laughs) But we did. And after we'd been going to church there for a while, our youngest daughter, Michelle, uh, and her husband uh, graduated from college, and they moved to a townhome in Grace Lake, and they were going to a church, Grace Church, in Grace Lake. And their small group leader was Richard Woolard, who was the first pastor of this church. And she and Kevin uh, moved to uh, Dallas, and she gave a call, called me up, and said that Richard was planting a church in Spring Grove, and I might be interested. Now, why she thought I'd be interested in that, I have no idea. I didn't know Richard. I had met him once when their uh, daughter was baptized, or dedicated, I guess. So so with that recommendation, we were going to church and the 8 o'clock service in Antioch, and then we're coming to the 10 o'clock church over there in the Johnsburg school. And for a lot of different reasons, we ended up deciding that we were going to come to Johnsburg, we were going to come to Meadowland Church. And I think you can read this story, our story, as we were planning on doing one thing and ended up doing something else. We were were directed by God to be here for some reason. We were planning on a stay in Palatine, and God wanted us. That's our story of how we chose this church. It's not as dynamic as Paul being knocked off his horse, but you can see God's hand working and changing a lifetime of tradition of Methodist churches into something becoming life-changing here at Meadowland. I'm glad to be here. I love this church. And I want to thank you for being part of this church this morning and all the other mornings that you attend. Your presence is an encouragement to everybody that comes to this church. I also want to thank those of you who provided us with your video or personal testimony. These testimonies are, at the end of the day, the only evidence we have of this church being effective on its mission. It's the only metric that counts is life's being changed by Jesus and disciples made. It's not the size of our attendance, it's not the amount of our offering or the square footage of our building. Those are important ministry tools, but should never be confused with the success of our mission. I think it's like a force fire the more people who are saved and share, the more people who will be saved and are available to share. My favorite part of church, any church, is to, are the baptisms. I love the testimony, and I watch the person come up out of the water, and the tradition we have here of applause from the congregation. It reminds me of a song that I like very well that says, When the sinner makes the Lord his choice, that's when the angels rejoice. I've spent much of my time discussing being in heaven after we die, but an equally important is by confessing with our mouth and believing with our hearts, our lives will be changed now. Being saved is much more than an eternal life with Jesus. It's also life with Jesus now. You have the, holy, you have the power of the Holy Spirit that makes our lives infinitely more rich. One of the most meaningful songs to me is He Touched Me. It begins with these simple words. Shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and pain, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I'm no longer the same. Isn't that the key to the whole thing? Now I am no longer the same. So what do we do with this challenging information? I say we prepare ourselves to share. And I want to insert right here is that I'm going to talk like this is all something we do on our own. But the truth of it is, when we've accepted Christ, we've also gained the power of the Holy Spirit. That's part of everything that we do. And in fact, sometimes I think that the Holy Spirit's with us, even if we're not believers. We just don't know the Holy Spirit is with us. And so one of the great things about being a believer in Christ, we can see Christ moving in our lives, and we know that we're not alone no matter what's going on. And so having a relationship with Christ, it does give us a the guarantee of an eternal life with him, but I think it just makes our day richer. And so having have that as the foundation, I'm saying that one of the things we ought to do in light of the need to share is that we need to prepare and pray about it. Now, if, we, if something's important, then we practice. It may not sound like it, but I actually practiced this sermon, so I thought it was important. If we know what we're going to say, if we've rehearsed what we're going to say, then when the opportunity comes up to share Jesus with somebody, we actually know what it is that we're going to do not to prepare and not to be ready to share, is really saying, I'm not sure I want to do that. It's uh, it's maybe ignoring it uh, more than we ought to. Um, we should know our stories to the point where we can go without hesitation. We all know the situation, we all know the s- kinds of situations where we had the opportunity to share, but we just didn't do it. It's kind of like the old thing. Uh, you know, every conversation that we're not prepared for, we always think of something to say after the conversation's over, after it's too late. And that's often true, I think, when it comes to sharing with Christ. I also got to say something to you about uh, we're not arguing the validity of the belief of others. Uh, I'm a firm believer that to be able to share the gospel, we don't have to understand world religions. We don't even have to know the difference between Methodists and Lutherans. That's not, not what we need to do. We just need to be ready to share our own story. And I had this, this experience. Let's see if I can share it with you. It makes sense. I was having lunch with two pastors, and it's one of those kinds of conversations. And so I said to them, are Mormons saved? And the answer was shocking. The guy said, one of the pastors said to me, what do you care? I was so flabbergasted about that. I blurted out something like, well, it helps me evangelize to them. I, you know, that's, and honestly, I had no idea. I think I just was making conversation. But it got me to thinking, obviously, this happened 20-some years ago. And, and so the point would be, what he said to me was, your story is your story of whether the person is saved or not. And a matter of fact, you don't know whether that person is saved or not. You have no idea. No matter what's said, you don't really know. And so the story is the story. So if you're telling your story to somebody who's already saved, you're encouraging them. And you know this is true, right? Every time you hear a story about somebody whose relationship with Christ, it's encouraging. It's nice to know what that story is. That truck driver's story, for everybody who already knows Christ, is an encouraging story. At least it is to me. And if they're not saved, your story will start them to think about something. So the point is, We don't need to know whether a person's saved or not. We don't know what they believe or what they don't believe. We don't need to argue with them about their belief. We simply need to know what I believe, what what I think is important about it. And so it's not an argument. Uh, We don't don't expect you to argue. Although I do expect that in addition to your story, there's some Bible verses that are important to you. Uh, Something that you... uh, like. It may, may have to do with uh, Paul's conversion. I like, for example, one of my favorite Bible verses, uh, which is not theologically important, but it is the beginning of Romans where it talks about uh, greeting to all the saints who are called, greeting all the people who are called to be saints, and grace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's a great, great Bible verse. So whatever Bible verse that is important to you, you ought to be able to share that with people at some appropriate time. All the law has been reduced to love God and love your neighbor, and what can be more law fulfilling than introducing others to Jesus? To sum up, we know all that we need to know to share Jesus. We know our story. We know the Bible verses that are important. With this, we're equipped to share. So I say share, and Jesus will do the rest. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this day and the time that we have together in this congregation that provides the the place for people to come together to share Jesus, to refresh their beliefs, to uh, gain the strength that we need to do to do your will. I pray for each one of these people this morning as they go through their day and their week that's coming that uh, every opportunity they have to share their relationship with you that... uh, They have the courage and the preparation to do those kinds of things. Uh, All these things we pray in your name. Amen.